Yeah, welcome to uh, our session here at Global Mission Health Conference. I'm very happy to have this opportunity to join in today's discussion with you all. Uh, our topic today is uh, for this session is mixing politics with healthcare opportunities in China. Uh, when I came up with this particular topic uh, at the end of 2019, I thought, well, oh, this might be an interesting way to to talk about the opportunities. In China, at that at that point, uh, I thought it was a bit of an unusual thing, but uh, of course now with the current environment, mixing healthcare and politics is a very common thing throughout the world. So, anyway, we'll see how our discussion goes today. Just as a brief introduction, uh, my uh, my name is David. Uh, my background is in family medicine, and I've been uh, living and working uh, in in China uh, since uh, 1996. Um, starting out in, in family medicine, uh, but because of the work there and because of the needs, um, the community health side is something that we um, learn on the job. And so again, that's an area that I've learned to appreciate and move into as well. Uh, if you have any questions, uh, you can contact me at the email listed there, gmhc.chinamix at protonmail.com. And so um, for the those of you that have chosen to attend uh, our session this time. Um, let me just ask: Are you coming in as a, a as a medical, a public health practitioner, looking for a place to work or a place to serve, or maybe as a student or an academic looking at different development models and opportunities uh, that might be available in China, or or maybe you're somebody that's involved with an NGO and you're trying to understand uh, the China context, uh, or perhaps. Maybe a business person looking for a sustainable uh, opportunity, a place to, to move into as far as uh, a business space in China. Or maybe uh, from a political background looking for some kind of a soundbite that you can use. Um, so other than the last one, I, I've, I've found myself involved in, in, in uh, each of these areas at different points in time over the last 20 some years as a medical practitioner as someone trying to understand development models, as someone working in, within NGOs, uh, and as someone who's explored and helped others look at sustainable markets within the China context. And so I hope that in, as we have our discussion, um, especially with the question answer time, we can maybe talk about some of these a bit more. Uh, today's uh, session objectives. Uh, one is we want to explore how uh, a nation or a country's political agenda will impact healthcare development and the opportunities that we're able to see there. Uh, the second thing is looking at um, how can we discover what the local and national health care priorities are and what are the resources that we can use and, and, and how can we utilize those things. And then thirdly, and perhaps uh, more during our question time, uh, we want to illustrate the power of creative partnerships. And I think that uh, each of us, no matter where we are right now, want to be involved in those those creative partnerships. Uh, the session abstract: um, uh, all official um, work, official services in China and many other countries um, are part of a broader agenda, a broader plan, and these are designed to support the goals of the government. and And it, it makes sense, um, but we want to look at look at this and see how we can um, as Christian medical and public health professionals uh, contribute and to bring about um, um, significant blessing uh, into these countries, into these local contexts uh, that we that we want to enter into. Um, the areas we want to cover today, just a brief outline of, of today's uh, discussion. One is that we want to talk about politics and healthcare, or politics and healthcare. Um, the second area is to look at a little bit about the background of the health system in China and how this differs probably from the systems that we're used to. Uh, the third section, we want to look back uh, on the 13th five-year plan over the last five years and see how that might help us to look toward the future. Uh, the elephant in the room, of course, is COVID, and we want to maybe have a few comments about how, uh, how that effect is affecting China 
and then finally implications for the next five years. And so that's where we hope to head today in our in our discussion. Um, before we start, I want to just have some foundational assumptions. Um, I think that um, as we enter into any situation, we recognize that we are uh, indeed blessed, uh, that the Lord has blessed us in many ways, whether through resources or through our background or through our training uh, or through uh, personal experience of grace. Uh, and we want to acknowledge that. But we also want to acknowledge that we are here to be a blessing. Uh, we want to also uh, um, recognize that the scope of blessing is both broad and deep. And so, you know, in family medicine, we talk about the biocycle social model. Um, as believers, we talk about the biocycle spiritual model. And so we talk about uh, blessing to the individual, to the body, mind, soul, and spirit, as well as corporate blessing to communities and perhaps even to, to governments. And then thirdly, uh, we recognize that we are subject to uh, the governing authorities of the, of the places where we, we live and work. Um, so again, the first section is just some basic um, discussion about the government structure in China. And the tagline there is that there is nothing that is not political. Okay, So in other words, everything within the China context <coughs> has political implications. So <clears throat> just uh, as a brief comparison, um, uh, comparing the U.S. and China. So in the U.S., we, we, we know our three branches of government, uh, legislative, executive, and judicial branches, and that there is um, a separation of powers and checks and balances. And so that is uh, built into the government here in the United States. In China, there are also three political structures, um, um, but it focuses around the Communist Party. So the party is a major aspect of the structure there in China. There's the military and then there's the state uh, or the government. Uh, in expanding on that, uh, we look at, um, at the party. This was prepared by uh, the U.S.-China Business Council to help business people understand <laughs> what they were going to get into and in looking at China. But as we look at Xi Jinping uh, as the leader of China, we see the three uh, uh, major areas there. One is uh, the party. So uh, the second is the military, and the third is the state. So Xi Jinping actually happens to hold uh, all three major powers of position. One is he's the general secretary for the Communist Party. Number two, he's the head of the military. And third, he's the president. Um, so the state, the party, as well as the military, he's in charge of all, of all three. And uh, uh, out of these, um, we remember the news about re uh, uh, taking away term limits for the president uh, position. That was actually the most recent change, but that's probably of the three positions is the one that holds the least amount of power. And so anyway, uh, just about the system. Uh, in 2017, at the uh, October National Party Congress, uh, during his opening speech, he had these words. He said that uh, uh, socialism with Chinese characteristics is entering a new era and that the great banner of socialism uh, with Chinese characteristics is being held high in the world. This is a path for developing nations as an entirely new choice as they hope to uh, accelerate their development and maintain their independence, providing Chinese solutions to the problems facing those particular nations. And so in the past, we've known that, that China's priority has been mainly within the borders of its own country. But um, with the current administration, it is clear that, um, that China is also a major, major player on the international uh, scene as well. So that's just a little bit about, about uh, China's uh, political structure, a government structure. Um, again, a little bit of, briefly, I want to talk about China's healthcare system. Now, um, we, we mentioned that uh, uh, the tagline here is that it's, it's a very different, uh, there's differing levels, and in each level the capacity is quite different. And so this particular slide is very busy, but uh, if you look down uh, here, uh, it talks about the regulatory side, the hospital or, or 
healthcare provision side as well as edu educational level of the providers. And uh, basically, I just took a screenshot of these different um, um, healthcare departments. So at the national level, there's the health commission. And then I, I just picked the example of one particular province, Sichuan province. Um, it's one that I'm somewhat familiar with. And so from the national level, there's the, the health commission. Provincial level, there's the health commission of Sichuan province. Uh, within Sichuan, uh, there's a number of, of cities and districts and prefectures, and the largest one is Chengdu. And so that's the website for the, for the uh, Chengdu Health Commission. And then within Chengdu, there's a number of counties and, and, and districts. Uh, and so the one I picked right there is Jintang County. And so as you look at that, you see national level, you see provincial level, you see prefecture, city or district level, then county level, township and village. And with each of these, um, uh, the, the capacity, the skill level, uh, of the providers and the services provided are, is actually very different. Now, uh, in our system here, we're used to people going to medical school. They come out with their medical degree, and um, it's all the same degree. Uh, but within the Chinese system, there are many different levels, at least at least five different levels of medical providers, uh, and they tend to work at, at at different levels within the healthcare system and structure. So national level hospitals have high level providers, there are very few, very, very few of these. Provincial level, every province has provincial level hospitals and medical schools and the pr providers here at the provincial level, uh, they're able to match up well with, with any country in the world. They're able to do a very good job. They have uh, excellent clinical skills and understanding and knowledge and experience. At the prefecture level, um, uh, there would be similarly some high-level providers, but then others that maybe have a master's level or bachelor's level um, in their preparation. At the county level, there may be a few master's level uh, providers, but more, some with bachelor's, some with an associate level degree, and some maybe even trade school. At the township level, we're talking about mainly associate level and some with trade school, and the village level, again, uh, the level is lower yet. So with each um, each level, you see a corresponding um, uh, level of service as well as the the skill and the education and experience of the providers there. Again, the similar thing, the hospitals in different places they have different levels of hospitals. So there's not the assumption that the hospitals are all the same. Um, a, a higher level hospital uh, has um, a, better equipment, higher level providers, higher level, uh, more educated providers, and, and greater level of skill. And then the levels as they go down, uh, the scope of service decreases correspondingly. Um, again, you know, this slide is not here to, to, uh, to clearly uh, delineate all the levels of medical education in, in China, but just to say that it's very complicated. So from primary school, middle school, uh, to trade school, uh, or finishing high school to college, uh, to for a bachelor's level, master's level, PhD level, um, it, it's all interconnected, many different opportunities to get to the level that the provider needs to or wants to get to. But again, just to say it's very, very complicated. So that's a little bit about the healthcare system in China. And again, um, we'll look back at that again when we talk about uh, opportunities for partnership as to what level uh, we want to uh, look for partners. So the third section we want to talk a little bit about the five-year plan where politics and healthcare mix um, and again um, uh, looking at uh, at the at the China. So China uh, as a single-party system what they do is that every Five years, of course, come up with a five-year plan. And this is something that's been uh, uh, ongoing since very early in China's history. They became a country in 1949, the People's Republic of China. Uh, and the five-year plan started in 1953. And so it's the blueprint for development for the next five years. And the next five-year plan, the 14th five-year plan, uh, will begin next year 2021 to 2025 
uh, and uh, we're looking forward to seeing what that will include. Now, 2021 is a is a big, uh, a very important year for China because it is the 100th anniversary of the founding of the Communist Party in China. And so with that in mind, we know that China will do everything in its power to make sure that between now and this celebration of the 100th anniversary of the communist, uh, the founding of the Communist Party, that things, that try to keep everything as stable uh, as possible. And so to prevent uh, any major uh, negative events or, or, or negative press or anything. And so we know that this will be a, a very important event for China. Uh, and, and so things will be, um, a, a lot of energy and effort will go to make sure that next year goes off without a hitch. So uh, I was hoping uh, for our in-person conference in November that I would have been able to talk about China's 14th five-year plan. Unfortunately, uh, that the meeting that will determine the 14th five-year plan is not happening until October 26th. Uh, and so since we're recording this here in early uh, October, I don't, I don't have the details of that particular plan yet. So we, hopefully in our discussion, uh, we can maybe talk about some of the things that, that, are, that are brought up when they, when they meet at the end of October. Um, but looking back, um, I want to look at the 13th five-year plan. And uh, let's just pretend that we're, we're back in 2016. And in 2016, they've just published the 13th five-year plan. And as we look at this, uh, and as we look at opportunities in China, we might be able to say from this, uh, where can we fit? Where can we be that channel of blessing? Where can we um, uh, bring um, what, we, what we know, what we have, as an added value to the local system. And so I hope that as we, uh, as an example, uh, let's kind of um, imagine that we're back in 2016 and we've just received these reports and we're looking for opportunities for the next five years. So again, remember uh, that there is nothing that is not political. And so everything has to be seen through this, this particular lens. So in, in March of, of, uh, of 2016, uh, this, uh, we see that the, the government has this big meeting and during these big meetings, uh, they come up with the priorities uh, for the next year, for the next five years actually. And so one of the things that was published at that time was the 13th five-year plan. But in addition to that, in addition to that 13th five-year plan, there are other major uh, priorities for the government. One is poverty alleviation. One is the Belt and Road Initiative. It's a financial and economic expansion throughout uh, Asia, uh, Africa, and Europe. Uh, another area is the environment. Uh, it's a big, big priority for, for China, as well as anti-corruption. Again, there are, there are other, uh, other things as well, but um, these are the ones that, that, uh, that we're able to look at and easily understand. So as we think about what these priorities are, we remember that there are the 13th five-year plan. There's there's a there's a particular five-year plan for healthcare. There's a five-year plan for education. There's a five-year plan for the environment. There's a five-year plan for the economy, etc. And so they split it up into each of these major uh, major areas. Uh, but on top of those specific, very specific um, plans and indicators and benchmarks that they want to reach. They also talk about poverty alleviation for the whole country, uh, environmental protection for the whole country. And so as we think about healthcare, uh, we, where we might be able to find overlap between the healthcare plan and poverty alleviation or the healthcare plan and the environment, then that becomes uh, uh, an area of added emphasis, of, of uh, uh, added uh, priority. So for example, if we're able to look at healthcare issues that help people stay out of poverty or escape poverty, then that would be an area that the government would be very likely be willing to step into partnership with us. Okay, so let's just quickly look at uh, what this 13th five-year plan is for healthcare. Um, again, this is a general overall 
a picture of that so we see different things we look at um, the environment the infrastructure <laughs> adding 30,000 kilometers of high-speed rail 30,000 kilometers of freeway wow that's just major infrastructure stuff um, adding 50 new airports <laughs> that's these are these are amazing goals but look at healthcare they want to uh, increase the number of registered providers for the population they want to increase life expectancy by an average of one year <laughs> so by the end of this five years everybody will live one year longer um, you want to um, leave the one-child policy and implement a two-child policy etc so these are things that are part of that plan um, so this is from a political perspective they talk about deepening health care reform uh, improving universal health care uh, strengthening prevention and control of critical diseases and basic public health uh, enhancing maternal child health improving medical systems so again and carrying out national fitness campaigns so this sounds like a politician speaking <laughs> somebody from a political perspective has written this one of the consulting companies in china boiled it down and put it in these terms and i think as you look at these key targets this might make a little bit more sense for us that are involved in healthcare. so um, i want to ask this question as you look at this uh, increasing number of qualified doctors increasing general practice physicians uh, training residents uh, public hospital development uh, chronic disease management infant mortality under five mortality and and uh, maternal uh, mortality in decreasing those where uh, do you see opportunities now where do you see opportunities so I think that as we look at this um, as as medical or, or public health uh, practitioners as those that are involved in in perhaps nonprofit work or even as a business person you can see wow I see a lot of opportunities here so for example for myself as a family practice physician I look at this and I say wow they want to they want two family practice doctors or general practitioners for every 10,000 people that's an opportunity to be training and equipping family, family practice doctors uh, so for someone that's involved in academic medicine well they want to train half a million resident physicians over this five-year period of time that's a that's a great opportunity to be involved in medical education or looking at public hospitals to develop to be developed in the county at the county level um, within the NGO that I was involved in over the last five years we received numerous requests from county level hospitals throughout the southwest part of China and we noticed that there were specific trends that came out of these county level hospitals uh, many of them wanted help in developing their pediatric departments uh, in their ICUs and emergency departments um, we think well pediatrics that's a pretty basic thing but you know in the past uh, at the county level hospitals their internal medicine and pediatric departments were combined and so one of the new requirements in 2015-2016 was for those uh, for the those hospitals to develop a separate pediatric department and so a general peds department uh, a newborn nursery etc and so we had a lot of requests to help hospitals develop general pediatric departments um, also as these hospitals worked to for their accreditation processes they needed their ICUs to be up to standard they needed their emergency departments to be up to standard so they asked many of them asked for help in training and uh, equipping their ICUs uh, as well as their emergency departments and a third major area that we were actually a bit surprised uh, but then with the health insurance systems kicking in uh, universally um, people that required dialysis uh, their care was being um, covered under the, the the policies and so many of these county level hospitals wanted to develop dialysis units and so another major area of, uh, where we received requests was to help different county level hospitals establish their dialysis units so general peds uh, icu pediatrics uh, i'm sorry icu and emergency department as well as uh, hemodialysis department so those at least for the last five years were major areas of requests from the county level hospitals and then chronic disease management um, this is something i think that we for primary care providers are very familiar with um, but again um, we in looking at china's situation between 2001 and 2011 
their incidence of diabetes in the adult population increased threefold, from about 3.5% to about 11% um, in a decade, and that continues to go up. And so the need for um, chronic disease management, for health education, for setting up uh, community-level uh, units to be able to handle that became a huge need, and it continues to be a big need, especially as there's an aging population in China. And then again, in, in uh, maternal child health, many, many opportunities here as well. So as you look at these targets, uh, we don't just see lists of things that the government wants to do. We see um, many, many opportunities, whether in um, uh, in education or in nonprofit work uh, or in business. And so some partnership models, uh, as we've already talked about, uh, if we happen to be at a very high government-to-government -government level, um, at these national level uh, policy things, or perhaps working with groups like the WHO or something like that, there are opportunities at that level. Um, if you are in academics uh, uh, and you are uh, a high-level academic uh, with the university, um, these opportunities continue. Uh, and even with the challenging political environment, academic exchange continues to be an area uh, for ongoing work and development. If you are in a nonprofit sector, in NGOs, again, uh, there are opportunities here. If you're looking at business, um, we've received a number of, 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 of requests and for things like, uh, how do we step into senior care? How do we step into special needs or special educational situations? How do we step into, to even in the area of, of, of dialysis units? Those all become opportunities for business uh, entry into China. And so those are, those are areas to think about. And then finally, in the area of consulting and in all these areas, there's, there's opportunity for, for uh, specialists to be involved in, in, in consultation. So again, some, some major uh, opportunities here. Um, we talked about, uh, I showed that one slide previously about the different levels, but the levels uh, also help us determine where, our, where we want to determine our partnership levels, whether it's a national level, if you have contacts at that level or provincial level, uh, perhaps meeting with the provincial health departments uh, or even with uh, the governors and vice governors uh, at the municipal level uh, or the county level. Um, so perhaps uh, if you're at a university level, you might look more toward the provincial uh, level university, academic exchange, or hospital exchange. If you're more looking at uh, things like primary care and chronic disease management, then maybe more county level or township level. Anyway, so the needs at the different levels uh, and the opportunities will differ depending on the level that you're aiming for your partnership. So again, this is something a little bit different than what we are used to in, in other contexts, but something to keep in mind. And some questions as we look at these partnership models is, are we, are we willing to work within local systems and structures? Again, uh, it takes a lot of time to understand um, different countries and their systems and structures, but uh, know that other people have gone ahead and, and have <laughs> made the mistakes for you. So, so look for those people that help you understand those local systems and structures. A second question, we're willing to accept what we might see as limitations because every country, every system has their own way of doing things. And it may not be the way that we've been trained to, to, uh, to provide those services, but that is what is appropriate to that local context. And so we're willing to step into those local models. Are we willing to understand what we bring and how we're able to bring added value to the local models uh, without insisting on our way. In other words, following local leadership, uh, following um, a local, what we might see as limitations, um, but in the long run, things that would bring along the necessary and needed uh, growth and development for each local system. So are these things that we're willing to, to step into, the local model, local leadership, um, and local development? And so that was the third major area, looking at um, looking back toward the 13th five-year plan, and and then maybe um, seeing where we might be able to fit into that. Um, 
No, the elephant in the room is, is obviously uh, what we're facing is uh, is our COVID pandemic situation. Um, and as I look at this again, um, thinking that there is nothing that is not political, right? We we have mentioned that several times today. Um, I want to look at look back at uh, we mentioned this already, but China's goals for 2016 to 2020. This is the last five year goal, including this year. And so those included um, to prevent and control major risks. Now, this was specifically written regarding the economy, um, but actually it expands to all areas of, of, uh, of life in China to prevent and control major risks. Second was for poverty alleviation. And again, this sounds very much like a political statement, but we think about what China has done in, in poverty alleviation. Uh, according to some to some reports, you know, since the late 70s, early 80s, China has brought over 800 million people out of poverty. Now we think about that number and it's like, we don't even know how to think about that. All right, that's three times the population in the United States to be lifted out of poverty over the last um, 40 years. Uh, it just, we, we don't even have a, a, a way to understand that concept. Um, but uh, from this work report given in May of this year, um, it said that even last year, a very challenging year for China, 2019, uh, 11 million people were lifted out of poverty and that the current statistics show that 0.6% of the population uh, is still below the poverty line. So a lot of work has been done. This is a major priority. So China would not want to jeopardize this project for anything. This was one of their major uh, key uh, indicators for this five-year period of time was poverty alleviation. Uh, third was to uh, control pollution. And then uh, fourth for sustained economic and social development. So, so these are things. And then, of course, they had a Healthy China 2030 movement, which is ongoing for the next decade. But these were China's goals for the last five years. So where would COVID uh, fit into these goals? And, and of course, the obvious answer is it doesn't fit into anywhere in <laughs> these particular goals. Uh, but again, uh, knowing that everything in China is, is uh, there's nothing that's not political. Uh, once COVID was there, um, they, uh, they will take advantage of the situation uh, to find out how to help their people get past this, past COVID-19. And so this is from the China Daily, uh, their, their foreign language uh, uh, press, uh, and it said, Fighting COVID-19 the Chinese Way. And again, this as you see this uh, website, it's, it's, uh, it has it in English, it has French, Spanish, uh, German. So it's, this is meant for foreign consumption, right? This is not meant for the Chinese population. Um, so again, there is nothing uh, that is not uh, political. So I just want to briefly, briefly look at the timeline what we from WHO for the early events for COVID-19. And I think, you know, all of us here have heard this before, but just as a, as a quick review. So uh, on December 30th, uh, late on the 30th, uh, ProMed Mail, which I think many of us uh, hopefully subscribe to, uh, had uh, published something about this uh, viral pneumonia out of Wuhan. And they weren't sure what was going on there, but they picked up chatter on that, and so they posted it. Uh, and those those of us that were in China during SARS, when we hear uh, atypical pneumonia, uh, right away our, our level of suspicion uh, goes way up high. WHO saw this uh, on the 31st uh, and, and, and published it in their China office. Um, people were aware. Uh, other things happened between over the, the next 10 days, a lot of communication between China and WHO and China. Uh, by the 9th of January, it was confirmed that this was caused by a novel coronavirus. And so this was known by January 9th. And by January 11th, WHO had received the genetic sequence for the coronavirus, uh, for the novel coronavirus. On January 13th, this was the first confirmed case outside of China, and this was in Thailand. Um, by January 19th, the reports were that there was uh, clearly some human-to-human -human transmission, and so that was known by the 19th of January, at least by, published by WHO. And 
by the 21st of January, we had the first confirmed case in the United States. And that was somebody that had traveled from Wuhan. And so, again, um, this is sort of the early timeline. And as we as we look at this, um, uh, however you want to, to understand what's happened since that time, um, I think uh, the first, that early period is fairly clear. So as we as we look at uh, at the next five years, okay, um, we want to ask the question again: What are the opportunities? What are some possible opportunities for us as Christian healthcare professionals, public health professionals, uh, as practitioners? How we might be able to to enter into the situation in China to be that blessing, uh, to extend that blessing. Again, we don't have the actual 14th five-year plan that will not be coming out till toward the end of October. Uh, but as we look at uh, the last five years, you may be able to find some hints as to some clues as to where those areas will be. So the previous goal of prevention and control of major risk, uh, that will certainly continue. All right, this uh, last five years did not quite go as planned for China. And so there are plenty of major risks out there and they're working very hard to control those risks. And so I think that will continue and I think that will continue to be an ongoing plan for the next five, priority for the next five years. Poverty alleviation, the original plan was by the end of 2020 uh, that all the poverty level counties in China would be eliminated. In other words, that uh, um, there would no longer be poverty counties in China. COVID has made that very challenging. Um, um, but it, it's, it is very possible that this would be not be on the list of priorities for the next five years because they would have already accomplished that goal. Um, pollution control, that continues to be a major uh, priority, and I, uh, I think that that will probably be an ongoing priority for the next, uh, for the decades to come. And then for sustained economic uh, and social development, that will also be an ongoing goal for the next period of time. Obviously, Healthy Healthy China 2030 will be an ongoing initiative. And in this case, it's it's areas of nutrition, areas of exercise, areas of healthy living that will continue. China's aging population, that demographic is not changed. There's a growing number of elderly in China, a growing number of elderly with chronic illness in China, and so that need will continue. And then finally, the impact of COVID-19 for surveillance, for control of emerging uh, emerging infections and the like, I think that will also be an ongoing priority in the years to come. So as we look at that, um, again, I want to just remind us again of the partnership models that are available. If you find yourself at uh, uh, even at government level or maybe perhaps working with organizations like the WHO, uh, this would be an area for ongoing uh, uh, partnership and opportunity. If you find yourself in an academic institution uh, as, a, as an academic, again, this is a, this is a lot of opportunities here uh, for, for ongoing cooperation. Uh, the NGO arena, uh, that space is becoming somewhat more limited, but there is there is still this ongoing opportunity there. Um, probably one of the major areas that you can find a growing space is in the area of business. Uh, and so for those who are business-minded, who are willing to uh, to take those risks and who have those resources, this is probably um, an area where there'll be the greatest potential for ongoing growth. And then finally, in, in the consulting area, there's many opportunities there as well. Um, I want to look specifically just at the NGO situation, just because that's what I'm, I'm, I'm familiar with, but just as an illustration for what kind of things are possible. So there's a particular website here. You can look at uh, China NGO website to look at what kind of organizations are registered with China. I've taken Yunnan as an example, mainly because Yunnan province is the place where uh, there's been the longest history of nonprofit work of international NGOs. Uh, and uh, uh, as of September 28th, there were 30 international NGOs registered in Yunnan province. And out of those 30, 11 are under the supervision of the Provincial Health Commission. And so I've listed those 11 here. 
and as well as their um, where they're from, where they're originally registered, as well as their service areas. And so we see groups like Bless China, Cedar Fund, uh, China California Heart Watch, uh, Family Health International, uh, Health Poverty Action, uh, etc. Uh, Operation Smile. And so. Uh, if you look at the origin, actually almost half of these are from either Hong Kong or Macau. Quite interesting for a very small area that uh, that the, the registrations come from those particular territories. Uh, areas of service include disability, working with youth, disaster relief, etc. In addition to those that are specifically listed as working under the Health Commission, there are actually other NGOs, international NGOs, that are, work Yunnan, and some of them also have some work in health, but uh, perhaps more bigger name NGOs like Oxfam, the Salvation Army, SIL, World Vision. All these are registered in Yunnan province. And so again, um, if you happen to work in the uh, nonprofit arena, uh, NGO arena, there still there are ongoing opportunities to be to uh, for uh, these organizations as well. Again. A reminder of our foundational assumptions. One is that we are blessed and that we are to be a blessing. The scope uh, of that blessing is both broad and deep. And so as we look, whether it's to individuals, to families, to communities, uh, there is an opportunity to be that blessing. And again, we are subject to governing authorities um, uh, that are in, in these particular countries. Uh, here's a list of some, uh, of some resources. Uh, various websites that uh, I found to be very helpful. The first one is the National Health Commission, and all the health priorities can be, or be listed there. Uh, regarding NGOs, Chinafile.com uh, is a very helpful source, and then just for regular, ongoing news, Chinasource.org is is for me a, um, is a major source of, of news for updates regarding the China situation. Um, uh, I will also have other resources available. Uh, uh, from the GMHC website uh, under this talk, and so you can look there as well. So at this point, I want to just open up for questions, and we can have a time of discussion. If you want to contact me, again, my email address is there, uh, gmhc.chinamix at protonmail.com. Thank you.